Beijing's nuclear stockpile outpacing Pentagon projections, a new report shedding light on China's latest warhead advances. Washington's top diplomat to China saying the two countries don't align on the Middle East war and urging Beijing to take a hard line on Hamas. Bad to the bone. Four are charged with stealing a million dollars worth of dinosaur bones in Utah and selling them to China. And chilling video shows a knife-wielding driver shot by police. Mr. Yang made multiple rapid downward swinging motions with the knife. This after he crashed into the Chinese consulate in San Francisco while shouting about the Chinese Communist Party. What prompted the incident? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Beijing's nuclear stockpile growing faster than the West expected. A new report from the Pentagon estimates China has over 500 nuclear warheads as of May. The DOD estimates that China would have over 1,000 nuclear warheads by 2030. In comparison, the U.S. has over 3,700 active nuclear warheads and Russia has over 1,600. China has largely refused to join arms talks with the U.S. since last year, after then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. Russia also suspended a treaty with the U.S. on limiting nuclear forces. China also hiked up military spending for 2023 by over 7 percent, now reaching over $200 billion. That number comes from the Pentagon's annual report to Congress about China's military power. The U.S. has its hands full right now, rushing weapons to battlefields in both Ukraine and Israel. Despite that, America's national defense strategy is shaped around China, and a threat from Beijing would influence the future of U.S. military development. Back to the new report, it also found more Chinese jets are coming dangerously close to American planes in international airspace. Declassified footage shows one incident where a Chinese jet flew just 10 feet below a U.S. plane. The U.S. has seen more than 180 such incidents, more in the last two years than in the decade before that. The PRC can and must end this behavior, full stop. The report also mentioned China is almost certainly learning from Russia's war on Ukraine, with an eye on Taiwan. China has been upping its pressure on the island, deploying record numbers of jets to fly near it. The Chinese regime views the island as its own territory, despite never having ruled it. Beijing also expanded its navy from 340 ships more than 370. Despite those developments, Beijing's military still faces a major challenge. China hasn't fought a war since 1979, so its troops lack combat experience. Washington's ambassador to China is speaking up about the Israel-Hamas war. He says Beijing and the U.S. have different perspectives on the conflict. Ambassador Nicholas Burns spoke to Bloomberg TV Thursday. He pointed out that while the U.S. and China have both voiced support for a two-state solution to the conflict, the two do not have identical views on this particular position. He also called on the Chinese Communist Party to denounce the attacks by the Hamas terrorist group. As of now, Beijing appears to have sided with Palestinians. Its foreign minister criticized Israel's self-defense response earlier this week, though leader Xi Jinping has called for a ceasefire. 
Worth noting, the state of Palestine is controlled by Hamas. On the other hand, the U.S. strengthened support for Israel with a historic in-person visit by President Biden and by sending military vessels into the region. That's to deter surrounding countries from joining the fight. But while Washington's stance differs from China's, Russia's does not. The longtime friend to Beijing has sympathized with Palestine and heaped blame for the conflict onto the U.S. President Putin traveled to China this week for an infrastructure forum and a meeting with Xi Jinping about the war. Critics say the two aim to weaken U.S. influence around the globe and present an alternative to the Western-led world order. Amid the ongoing U.S.-China tech war, Beijing is unveiling new restrictions on another critical mineral, graphite. And it's crucial for electric car makers. Let's dive in. New restrictions announced in China could be unwelcome news for the growing electric vehicle market. Beijing said on Friday it will require export permits for some graphite products to protect national security. It's the latest move by the country to control supplies of critical minerals in response to challenges over its global manufacturing dominance. The reason this might hurt EV makers is because China refines more than 90% of the world's graphite into the material used in virtually all EV battery anodes. That's the negatively charged portion of a battery. One analyst said South Korean firms heavily rely on the graphite imports from China, but would have to look elsewhere to the US or Australia and that would likely raise the cost burden for many. Automakers are now racing to lock in supplies from outside China, but there could be shortages. China will now require, as of December, that exporters apply for permits to ship two types of graphite. Beijing said the move was conducive to ensuring the security and stability of the global supply chain and safeguarding national security. China's decision comes while the EU considers tariffs on Chinese-made EVs which it argues unfairly benefit from subsidies. The US government also widened curbs on Chinese companies' access to semiconductors earlier this week. Analysts said it was not clear how much impact the new measures on graphite will have in the short term. But on Friday, shares in China's new energy vehicle and battery makers rose after the announcement. Under the shadow of war in Israel, the Taliban is seeking to get closer to America's biggest rival. We requested China to allow us to be a part of the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor and Belt and Road Initiative, and the past that joined us through Tajikistan. That's after the Taliban's acting commerce minister returned from Beijing this week, where he attended a summit for China's Belt and Road Infrastructure Project. No government has recognized the Taliban's regime since it forcibly toppled Afghanistan's government two years ago. At the same time, Beijing appointed an ambassador to Afghanistan last month and seeks to expand business cooperation with the Taliban. And a major way to do that is through the just-concluded forum. Beijing confirmed a round of new projects during the Belt and Road Summit, totaling over $97 billion. What's Beijing's goal for offering up billions of dollars in loans to developing countries? Today, the, the entire GDP of Afghanistan is made up by two things, drug money and foreign aid. Uh, everybody, no one in Afghanistan, except maybe the Taliban, and, and are better off than they were before. And, of course, the third thing we worry about is, is the expanding influence of China. Just after the summit, Chinese leader Xi Jinping held another round of talks with three developing countries' leaders Friday. 
Sri Lanka, Brazil, and Vietnam. Sri Lanka sits on a critical location for maritime trade. After it inked its Belt and Road deal, it proved unable to repay its Chinese debt. In exchange, it had to hand over control of a deep water port to Beijing on a 99-year lease. That incident and others like it sparked critics to dub the Belt and Road a debt trap. Now, other nations are looking to offer developing countries an alternative. Around 20 leaders from the European Union are set to host a similar infrastructure forum next week. Now, turning to the Korean Peninsula, Russia's foreign minister met with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un on Thursday. The two countries pledging closer defense ties. North Korea is a close neighbor and longtime partner of our country. Lavrov thanked North Korea for supporting Russia's war on Ukraine. He also said Moscow has pledged complete support for Kim Jong-un. The U.S. said North Korea had started sending weapons in bulk to Russia. Lavrov's trip sets the stage for Putin's potential visit to North Korea. The two leaders met in September, where they discussed potential military cooperation. An update on the San Francisco Chinese consulate car crash incident. A man rammed his car into the consulate lobby last week. Now, newly released body camera footage shows a tense encounter with the police before the altercation that ended in a fatal shooting. Let's take a closer look. San Francisco police on Thursday released body camera video of the fatal shooting by an officer at the city's Chinese consulate on October the 9th, after a man rammed his car into the consulate's visa office and scuffled with police. At an online briefing, San Francisco police acting commander Mark Im identified the man as Jan Yuan Yang, a 31-year-old Chinese citizen. The sergeant approached Mr. Yang and ordered him to get on the ground, but he did not comply. As a sergeant and the security guard pinned Mr. Yang from behind against the wall, Mr. Yang rotated towards the sergeant and the security guard and exposed a knife in his right hand. The sergeant blocked Mr. Yang's right elbow as Mr. Yang continued to turn towards them. Mr. Yang made multiple rapid downward swinging motions with the knife towards the direction of the sergeant and the security guard. Im said the sergeant then stepped back and fired his gun at Yang, who fell on the floor. He was later pronounced dead at a hospital. Apart from the knife Yang wielded, police said a loaded crossbow with arrows were found in his car. Though no gun was found at the scene, according to recordings of 911 calls on the day, witnesses had reported seeing the driver with a gun, raising the stakes of the situation. Police said they were unable to answer questions about Yang's immigration status or possible motives. At a news briefing on the day of the incident, police had said few details could be given because it happened inside a consulate, so the investigation involved multiple government and diplomatic parties. At the time, China's foreign mission called it a violent attack on the consulate. On Thursday, San Francisco Police Chief William Scott did not comment on the officer's shooting, but spoke of general police training. If an officer believes that this event has the makings of an active attacker, what we train them to do is stop the threat immediately. Police said the department was continuing an internal review of police conduct, along with a separate investigation into the overall case itself. Investigators did not identify a motive for the suspect, though a witness earlier told reporters he was yelling about the Chinese Communist Party as he exited the car while bleeding from a wound on his head. 
The consulate has been targeted before. A protest against Beijing's zero COVID-19 policies saw the building vandalized with graffiti in November. It was also damaged by multiple arson attacks in the past. U.S. investment firm Sequoia Capital is facing scrutiny from lawmakers over its cash flow into China. The House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party is investigating the company over its funding the regime's high-tech sectors. More specifically, the Congress members are looking into areas like AI, microchips and quantum computing. The Silicon Valley giant began breaking up with its China arm back in June, ahead of an executive order aimed at preventing U.S. capital from flowing into Beijing-controlled firms. Lawmakers are also demanding a list of all China-based or affiliated companies Sequoia has funded. Some of them now work under the Chinese military. That includes Four Paradigm. The Beijing-based tech firm builds AI for military battlefield training programs. Sequoia also invested in DJI, a Chinese drone manufacturer that reportedly helped facilitate the regime's surveillance in the Xinjiang region. Bad to the bone. Four people are accused of selling dinosaur bones from public land in Utah to China. A federal grand jury in Salt Lake City indicted the group for stealing $1 million worth of artifacts. The whole amounts to 150,000 pounds of items, including dinosaur bones that were illegally removed from southeastern Utah. The defendants also allegedly caused more than $3 million in damages. Prosecutors allege that the defendants committed several felonies. By law, any fossils or organism traces preserved in or on the Earth's crust are protected items. Beginning in March 2018, the defendants purportedly purchased, transported and exported dinosaur bones from federal land. Coming up, a global diplomatic reshuffling. China's third Belt and Road Forum wraps up with Russia's president and the Taliban as key guests. How do strategic moves from China and Russia impact global relations? And what's India's stance? To discuss, we sat down with national security analyst Antonio Graceffo. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Surprise attendees for Beijing's Belt and Road Forum. The event marked a major overseas journey for the Russian president, while the Taliban joined the roster as an official guest. What message do China and Russia present amid the turmoil in the Middle East? We speak to national security analyst Antonio Graceffo for more. Antonio Graceffo, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Good to see you, Tiffany. We saw President Biden visit Israel in a show of support at the same time Russia's Putin was visiting Xi Jinping in China on the sidelines of the Belt and Road Forum. Now, the Taliban was also officially invited. How do you view this year's forum in light of the Israel-Hamas war? Yeah, it's interesting that the Belt and Road Forum itself is taking second place to this other agenda, which is basically building a coalition between China, Russia, the Taliban, Iran, and uh, all these pariah states. And what's your understanding of Russia and China's responses so far in terms of the Israel-Hamas war? So China has basically refused to comment 
and on Chinese social media, they are showing lots of video of Palestinians dying or suffering and basically making it out that the U.S. and Israel have attacked Palestine. Uh, Russia has condemned uh, the United States and Israel, and they're both blaming the United States and Israel for warmongering. And what is their stake in that region? Why do they care? Well, China cares because of energy, because of oil. Russia is also heavily involved in the area. Uh, you know, Wagner was was active in the area, the the Russian mercenary company. So basically, the, the Middle East, plus there's a very long history between Iran and uh uh, Russia, and then also with uh, Iran and China. So they have a stake. And what they want to do is they want to form a coalition. They want to get all the um, Muslim states, the Arab states together uh, on their side and isolate the United States and uh, Israel on the other side. And now given this reordering or reshuffling of these countries, how is that going to impact countries like India? Right. So India was poised, uh, along with the United States, to form this new corridor that was going to compete with the Belt and Road. It's going to come up through, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia. Israel was involved, Saudi Arabia involved. And I believe the UAE was involved connecting the Middle East with Europe. And it was a really great deal that we had negotiated and India agreed to. Now what's happened is because Hamas attacked Israel, and China and Russia are putting pressure. The Muslim states are sort of pulling back from Israel, which puts Saudi Arabia in a position that they can't really move forward on the deal. It doesn't mean the deal is dead. It doesn't mean that it won't move forward. It might be that Saudi Arabia is going to wait. They're going to, you know, bide their time. And in a few weeks from now, if this dies down, they'll be able to move forward on the deal. But right now, the deal can't move forward. And so that's going to hurt India. And there's talks of this conflict escalating with potentially Hezbollah entering the fight against Israel. How do you see this playing out? Yeah, the escalation is really scary because Iran backs both Hamas and Hezbollah. Hamas is relatively small, um, ill-equipped militia, whereas Hezbollah is a well-trained, well-equipped militia, both funded by Iran. Iran has already threatened that if Israel moves forward with their ground invasion of Gaza, Hezbollah will respond. Um, speculation is that the reason that U.S. troops and uh, the U.S., particularly the U.S. Navy, was moved to the region was in case Hezbollah becomes involved or as a deterrent to prevent Hezbollah from getting involved or if they do get involved, that the U.S. Navy would then get involved. So this thing could easily escalate. And on that note, what's the message the U.S. should be sending right now? I think the U.S. should definitely be sending a message that uh, we, uh, of course, we send the message that we support Israel. We need to remind everyone that that Hamas attacked Israel, that the two-state solution, and this is a problem, uh, even Biden said the two-state solution, the two-state state solution is impossible because the West Bank and Gaza are on opposite sides of Israel. There's no way that we can do this two-state solution. So some other solution has to be found. And I think maybe that's the message we should be sending is let's all sit down and figure out a solution. Quite concerning indeed. Antonio Graceffo, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tiffany. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you soon.